You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have part two of that Tigers Farm System rundown. This time, we're going through prospects six through ten. And if you missed part one, definitely go check that part out real quick and then come back to me on this episode. Part one is the previous episode where I talk about prospects one through five and that's a really exciting group there uh, with a duo at the top and Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green that rivals any system in baseball. I don't think anybody else has a duo of top 10 prospects like that and with so much upside, such a high floor, very exciting, but there are some exciting guys in the back half of this top 10 and that's what I'm excited to talk about in today's episode. I cut the last episode off because I wanted to be able to give Roberto Campos his due diligence and the airtime that he deserves. And that's exactly what I'm going to do when I get to Roberto Campos here to start it off at six. And then we're going to go through seven and 10. And then we will go through some honorable mentions as well. Somebody that just missed the cut, didn't quite make the top 10 prospect list here. And actually, I just realized I didn't even quite put him on the honorable mention. So maybe not that notable, but a name that I was definitely thinking about when I put this list together was Nick Quintana. And he just got sent over to the Cincinnati Reds in that trade for Tucker Barnhart. So we're already starting to see the Detroit Tigers be busy. And I love that because the Tigers are closer to competing than I think people think. And they're one of those teams that I expect to be a little bit active this year, especially with some of the prospects on their way to help also. So let's talk about some of the prospects. And this is somebody in Campos that may not be helping anytime soon, but is somebody that is very exciting and talented. So Campos, you know, the video and the exposure is a little bit limited to Roberto Campos, and I'm excited to get a little bit more of a look at him back down in Florida, presuming that he's going to be over in that Lakeland complex at some point, or at least out there for some spring training, for some instructional league. We'll see. I'll be keeping my ears open as I'll be down in Florida for a lot of the next few months. Obviously, that's where I'm from. I'm stationed up in New York right now, uh, but it's nice to get back down there, especially when it gets cold up here. But you also start having some baseball happening down there. Uh, You know, spring training starts, it sneaks up on you, and uh, I'll be around there for spring training a ton to see all those guys, and I can't wait for that once we get to March. Can't come soon enough. I'm already talking about that, and I'm one day out from uh, going to the last game of the season. I just came back from Houston and uh, that was a blast going to that game six of the World Series over there. Uh, But let's get back to these prospects. So Campos, I really like this kid's swing. It is just such a smooth, pretty, and repeatable swing for a 6'3", 200-pound, 18-year-old. And he has some big-time power potential. He really does. But I have as much confidence as I guess I could have in a kid's hit tool who only has 39 professional games under his belt and who I've only admittedly gotten limited looks at. But in those limited looks, I've seen a lot more 
polish and I would say a lot more of an advanced swing than I was expecting when I initially uh, was going in to see compost. The swing doesn't have a ton of movement. He does deploy a leg kick, but it's a rhythmic leg kick that he times up very frequently already. I would be worried about it if uh, he seemed like he had some different timing on that leg kick, but he repeats it really well. It seems like something that I would guess he's been doing since he was a kid, given the level of comfort. And he seems like one of those guys that just came out of the womb hitting. He's just a kind of guy that can just hit and you can see it. And in that first professional season over in the complex league, where Honestly, a lot of 18-year-olds coming from the Dominican Summer League or coming from uh, just being signed and making that debut, they struggled out there. And He didn't light the world on fire by any means, but I thought that you could see the bat-to-ball skills and you could also see the power potential. He did only hit 228, but he walked 11% of the time. Some of that may have just been because the pitchers don't have a ton of command. 26% K rate, so didn't swing and miss as badly as a lot of the other raw prospects that got thrown into that situation did. Uh, You saw the nine home runs, but I was watching his takes and watching the way that he was able to pick up spin and how he was able to catch up to velocity and drive the ball to all fields. I was very surprised at how advanced he is for his age and relative to his size and his tools. He was seen by many as that type of player that is plus raw power. Let's see what happens. And I see the plus raw power, but I also see a much more smooth swing than I think a lot of people expected. The barrel lives in the zone. He's able to make it happen quite frequently and the body doesn't really get in the way. That's stuff that you don't see from an 18 year old. So I'm really excited on Campos. I expect him to be able to keep the strikeouts in check as he continues to develop through the minor leagues. I think he's always going to have a little bit of swing and miss just because of what he's looking to do with the plate. He's looking to do some damage, but I think that with the way he is able to already control that body and with the smooth swing that he has strikeouts are never going to be egregious for him and I think he's going to be able to get into that power pretty easily and you can see that from the video just how natural his raw bat speed is the Tigers could have their next big prospect here he's the guy that when you're looking at the back half of their top 10 has as much upside I would say he has as much offensive upside as anybody in this system not named Torkelson or named Riley Green. He really has that kind of upside, and and they know that. They were scouting him for years, the Tigers were, before signing him for three just under $3 million as a 16-year-old. He's always been physically mature, but to give the professional at-bats that I'm starting to see there, uh, just to have that level of comfort against largely still older competition, even though it was the, uh, the complex league, I think is a really encouraging overall takeaway there. I'm looking forward to seeing more from him and I think Tigers fans can definitely dream on what they have there. Uh, Another prospect now coming in at number seven on the top 10 prospect list here for the Detroit Tigers. And also a reminder that you can follow along in the description. If you click the description, there's a link to the article so you can see the scouting grades and my more in-depth write-ups on each of these prospects over at JustBaseball.com. And also, if you enjoy the podcast, would really appreciate appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave a rating as it helps me immensely with visibility and growing the show. But let's get back to Colt Keith here, who is number seven on the top 10 prospect list here for the Tigers. Colt Keith is really a safe bet. I really do think he's a safe bet. And while the numbers may not be quite what 
some were hoping following the high A promotion. I think it's important to remember that no 2020 season. Colt Keith is a guy that was drafted out of high school and also was only 19 years old for a majority of the season. He was phenomenal in low A and then struggled after that promotion to high A. But in low A, he really showed what his strength is, and that is the bat-to-ball skills. A lot of people are really convinced. A lot of people I've talked to are very convinced, including Jeff Ponce, who was on the podcast not too long ago, uh, just about last week for a really fun episode. But Ponce, I know, really likes Colt Keith, and I see why. There, There's definitely a lot to like from the left side. He has just great bat-to-ball skills. You can see just hand-eye coordination that is already making itself known. He's the type of guy that with two strikes can just throw his hands at the ball and, and put it in play with a decent amount of authority. He hasn't quite tapped into that power just yet. I think that there is above average power. I'm not sure that he's a plus power guy, which does somewhat Hurt when you're talking about somebody at the hot corner, which is where Keith profiles. He could end up playing second base. I think he's athletic enough to go there. He's not a big time runner by any means. And I think he's good enough to stick at third. He's got a great arm over there. Uh, but there's a few things that I think are really important to note with Keith is he has a plus arm for a reason. He was a two-way prospect out of high school, and I think that's part of the reason why we aren't seeing as much power as we were maybe hoping or as some were hoping to see from a 6'3", 210-pound third baseman. But given the lack of 2020 season and the fact that this was his first professional stint, I'll take 320, 436, 422 with 30 walks against 39 strikeouts in 44 games in low A like he did to start the year and then, of course, had the struggles in high A. But to show what he did against still older competition in low A, I think he's going to get acclimated to high A next year and quickly uh, by the middle of the season, probably make his way up to double A with his bat to ball skills. The defense looks good at third. He's got that big time arm. His actions are strong. And that's why I think it'd be a waste to put him at second. I think the bat's going to profile enough there. And something that if you remember the interview we did with Alec Burleson a while back is something that I think is going to ring a little bit true here with Colt Keith. From one side of it, he's also just a teenager that is or now 20 years old. that's going to just put on some more man strength, but also as a pitcher, he was a bit limited in the kind of upper body strength that he could try to attain. You don't want to uh, attack the weight room the same way that a, the traditional third baseman is going to that's trying to hit for power. If you're a pitcher and he was a pro prospect that was running up to 93 on the mound in All-American games prior to being selected just as a third baseman by the Detroit Tigers. So I expect him to work out and put weight on more geared for a third baseman's body, and that will definitely help him. As Alec Burleson said, that helped him monumentally as he stopped pitching after his collegiate career and started to put on strength that was more conducive to a hitter trying to do damage. Also, when I look at Colt Keith's swing, he has that all-fields approach. It's very simple and very geared for contact. I think that's the best way to put it. He is not really doing much that'll throw off his timing, but it's so simplified and so boiled down that I think it doesn't allow him to really have much violence in the swing. There's there's not much violence there. It's just very much pick it up, put it down, throw your hands at the ball. So he doesn't have that rubber band effect. You don't really see a negative move with his hands. He really keeps his hands stagnant and just picks the foot up, puts it down, not even much of a stride, and throws his hands forward. So without having that 
negative movement with your hands to generate separation from your front leg and those hands that are going back, you don't have that rubber band effect that so many people talk about, which really, it creates tension and allows for more violence once you start to move forward as a hitter. Whereas right now, it's almost like he's just starting from neutral and going forward. Instead, it's almost like you want to rear back more, like you're going to punch somebody. If you're just punching straight from where your hand is, instead of reaching back and punching forward, you're not going to have as much strength. And it's a little bit of that. Uh, So as Keith starts to iron that out, sink into that back hip more, generate more separation from that front side, I think he's going to start to generate more power and start to have more violence in that swing. As he develops more violence in that swing, I don't think it's going to come at an expense of his bat-to-ball skills. I really think that a lot of it is innate. I still think that there's a level of athleticism and a lot of the mechanical consistency that really comes from the mound that makes its way into the batter's box that should allow him to be an above average hitter. He's another name that I'm looking at to potentially break into the top 100 list if he can start to hit for a little bit more power because of the fact that his glove profiles is above average at third. He's got the plus arm and he's just an all around really intriguing third base prospect that's still just 20 years old and showed flashes of a lot of offensive upside and a patient approach. I'm going to get to prospects 8, 9, and 10, and then some honorable mentions in the second half of this episode. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for basketball and football action this season. Head to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's one word locked on, and you'll get that 50% welcome bonus from basketball, football, baseball, postseason, which is now over, uh, which was a ton of fun. You could have cashed out big time if you bet Braves uh, going into the postseason. I could tell you that. NHL, boxing, UFC. You got a big UFC fight. You got Kobe Covington versus Kamaru Usman going up this weekend as well here in New York City to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers and available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Go check out the website, Bet Online, where the game starts. So let's hop back into this top 10 here for the Tigers. And number eight is a prospect that wasn't really as much on my radar until close to the draft, where I was just doing my due diligence on the draft and I was seeing his name come up more and more. So I decided to start watching him a bit more and I could see what there was to like. It's Dylan Smith, 21-year-old, was drafted in the third round by the Tigers in 2021, 74th overall out of the University of Alabama. And to be honest, I watched him pitch before I really looked at the numbers. And I try to do that as much as I can. It's obviously harder in college uh, because it's less accessible to see the video or watch them live before going to check out the numbers and you want to see who's really worth checking out. I'm glad I did that with Dylan Smith because I was astonished when I saw his numbers after watching him pitch. I was expecting his numbers to be lights out and I know I caught him on one of his better starts of the year but just even seeing the way he was able to have a feel for spinning the breaking ball I was astounded that he didn't have better numbers all around. This was a breakout year for him in his junior season. He barely played much in his freshman and sophomore years 
years because he struggled so much with command. He was somebody that was drafted out of high school. I believe it was in uh, somewhere in the teens, 14th. It was the 18th round, actually, excuse me, uh, by the Padres out of high school when he was just a, a six foot 165 pound kid because of the fact that even though his fastball was more in the high 80s he showed such a good feel for spinning it and was such a good athlete that the Padres were interested and they were going to overslot him in that teen round area ultimately he goes to Alabama and really struggled through those first two seasons and finally figured it out command-wise, mechanics-wise in that junior season. There were still some things that I'd like to see him iron out, but on a season scale here, the numbers, he punched out 113 and 98 and a third, only walked 20, and that was the big key. And his stuff, his bag is deep. The fastball, I want to see that tick up a little bit. He's put on weight since. He's 6'2", 180 now. I think he could add a little bit more physicality there and uh, could see the fastball tick up. We saw it at times. And that was the interesting thing. He's a really athletic pitcher uh, that a little bit reminds me of the Max Meyer type of mechanics where he uses his body really well. Uh, But he is also somebody that ran it up to 96, but more so sat in the 91 to 93 range, uh, would grab a four uh, with a little bit more frequency as, as the season went on. But the stuff that he has, the sliders plus, I think he can rely on that pitch almost in any count. And he seems to have a lot of confidence with it. It's a mid 80 slider. I'm giving it a 60 grade after what I saw. He threw it 25% of the time and racked up a 50, 51% whiff rate, excuse me, which is Fantastic. I mean, if you're throwing a pitch a quarter of the time and they're swinging and missing 51% of the time, it works to lefties and righties. That's a plus offering. No doubt about it. It has good tilt. It has sharp weight bite and it works to lefties and righties. The curveball is also a pitch that to me is already above average. I have 50 present, 55 future grade. Wouldn't be shocked to see that trend up to a plus pitch if you can get some more depth to it and command it a bit better. It's more so in the high 70s, but I like the way he was able to throw that pitch when it was working well. 40% whiff rate on that offering also. And then he showed a decent feel for the changeup as well. Didn't throw it as much and didn't locate it quite as much, obviously, as the other pitches that he shows a good feel for spinning, but was flashing above average when he commanded it. So with a plus slider, above average curveball, and an average changeup because of the command issues, but flashes above average, and a fastball that I still think has a chance to be above average, but already is a 55 uh, future value, 50 grade pitch and has some life to it. That's a good arsenal, and that's the arsenal with continued progress in regards to his command. He could be a middle-of-the-rotation type of starter. He's athletic. He mixes his stuff up well. I think he sequences already well for a young pitcher. The fastball at times when he misses his location is hittable, and he gave up 11 of his 14 home runs on the year on that heater. So that's the pitch that he's either going to have to try to mask more or he's going to have to try to gain some velo there. Opponents hit the fastball well. They slugged 502 off of it in the SEC this year. But on the other side, opponents really struggled against every other pitch. All of his off-speed pitches, which is the two curveballs and the changeup opponents, hit just 209 with a 550 OPS. I mean, that's just not good at all. 
49% K rate as well. I mean, hitters just did not have a chance against the off-speed stuff. It's just the fact that he has to throw a fastball on occasion is the problem. And it was reminiscent of Luis Garcia during the regular season. Luis Garcia with the Astros, who ended up seeing the fastball tick up big time in the postseason, and that helped him a ton. But he was a guy that had the fastball get knocked around all year, but was effective because his breaking stuff and his off-speed stuff was so good. He would just lean on that and just hope that the fastball wouldn't get shellacked. And if he could limit the damage and just keep it at least somewhat in check on the heater, that he would be able to be effective because the secondary stuff was so good. So we'll see how the fastball trends. We'll see if he's able to mask that pitch a little bit more with the improved command of his secondary stuff or if the fastball ticks up. I'm willing to bet that the fastball ticks up and his command of it is also going to improve. And I project a solid number three starter here in Dylan Smith, which is a nice little steal in the third round of this year's draft in an over slot pick, if I'm not mistaken. Next up on the list is number nine, and it's Christian Santana, shortstop, just 17 years old out of the Dominican Summer League this year is all we got to see him in. So another guy that admittedly I haven't seen a ton of and was signed pretty recently as soon as or as recently as January of this year where another player that was picked up for just under $3 million. Christian Santana, a guy that I think is going to stick at shortstop already from what I've seen, but obviously a lot can change. He's six foot 165. I don't think he's going to be somebody that ends up being big and stocky and slows down a ton. Above average runner. But what's interesting about Santana is that he's one of those players that even though Campos, I said, you know, surprised with the bat to ball skills was somebody that in Campos that you look at and you say, wow, you can dream on that raw power. And that's what really what was the allure to him. And that's usually what happens with a lot of the teenage uh, international free agents with Santana. It was the scouts marveling over his advanced ability to hit at such a young age, at 15 years old. They were marveling at his his ability to hit velocity as he would mess around with older competition and try to hit against grown men. And that was what really impressed them. And, And that's what we're seeing here with Santana, even in the Dominican Summer League debut. And that's what I saw from the video that I've been able to catch from him as a hitter. He's definitely further along than most 17-year-olds would be. I mean, he should still be in high school, right? And instead, he hit 261 with a 421 on base and a 520 slugging in the Dominican Summer League. And I know it's the Dominican Summer League, and that's not the highest level of competition. But the fact that he was able to leave the yard nine times, I think, is really encouraging because nobody was debating or really doubting his bat-to-ball skills. And that's rare to be able to say about a 17-year-old, but I really was in the same boat there from what I saw. So to already be able to hit the ball out of the yard nine times uh, was really encouraging from a 17-year-old who's only 165 pounds. I think if he's able to even have average to above average power, which there's no denying after that and after seeing the way he was able to hit the ball, especially pull side when he squared it up, There's above average pull side power. That paired with an above average to potentially plus hit tool, there's definitely a lot of offensive upside here. He's got a chance to stick it short, which makes him even more valuable. As I said, an above average runner. I expect him to climb quickly through the the minor leagues. We'll see where they decide to assign him next season. He is still incredibly young, but after the Dominican Summer League and what he did out there, I expect him to probably play at the complex for the beginning portion of next year. And 
I wouldn't be afraid to give him an aggressive assignment to Loe. That might sound crazy because of how young he is, but I wouldn't be afraid to do that at all. That's how good of a bat he has. Maybe the game would be a little bit quick for him on the field defensively, but I want to see his bat there because I think he can handle it. I think that there's 20 home run upside and there's a potential plus on the hit tool. I'm giving it a 55 future value on the hit tool right now just because I haven't seen enough. I'm not just going to hand out 60 hit tools, uh, even if it's just the future value component. Obviously, uh, he's not presently at 55, but I got to see a little bit more before I do that. Still a ton of upside here and another guy that, you know, if he's a top 100 prospect by the end of next year, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Rounding out the top 10 here is a totally different type of prospect, a guy that was drafted also in 2021 over slot guy, major power and a lot of questions with the hit tool. Uh, I'll say that for sure. But some of the best raw power in the 2021 draft over slot guy, 39th overall, 6'4", 225 pounds. It's Isaac Pacheco, who is probably going to end up at third base, has a shot to stick at shortstop. We'll see if he ends up sticking there. But a monster, monster raw power guy, 60 grade raw power, maybe even a little bit more than that. I mean, he's 18 years old and he's 6'4", 225 pounds. You don't see that. And you know what? There's more feel to hit there than I think some may give him credit for. But I just see some inconsistencies with his body, which is understandable, and some inconsistencies with his swing, which I'll get to in a second. He has the type of power to leave the ball or leave the yard uh, when he misses the baseball. Foul pole to foul pole. He's got that kind of power. We're talking, people were putting him in the conversation in terms of the the power department in this draft with Brady House. And uh, I mean, that's high praise. Joshua Baez as well. Two guys that were drafted early and given a great deal of money to skip college. Same with Pacheco, though. He was given a good deal of money to skip college. And he looked okay in the complex league. I would have liked to see the power shine through a little bit. I think he was focusing more on just consistently making contact, but he played all 26 games at shortstop and I was impressed with his ability to move uh, and his ability to make throws from different angles. And he had a lot more range than I was expecting from a guy with his size. But given that he's 18 and already 6'4", 225, it's probably safe to say he's going to move to third, but he's got a big arm there. Another guy that spent some time on the mound as well. And that arm will play up uh, quite a bit at third base. The Tigers gave him first round money. They gave him $2.75 million, 850000 over slot to sign him away from Texas A&M. So they really like the strength, the body, and the bat speed. And if it all clicks, he's got 30-plus home run power. Uh, and I think that there's still a very outside chance that he sticks it short because of the way he's able to throw from different arm angles and that above average uh, to plus arm that he has. But I think he could be a plus defender at third base, given those reasons as well. And that's going to probably end up being uh, the, the more reasonable and understandable move uh, to put him there. Going into his swing a little bit before I wrap up on him, it seems like he's really still harnessing the body control component, especially as a big kid. The lower half and the upper half seem to be out of sync at times. His torso and his lower half just aren't working together, which is compromising his power, compromising his ability to consistently be on time. And it's something that I know I talked about with Gunnar Henderson and was an issue for him a little bit uh, up until he figured that out this year and settled in a little bit uh, as the season went on. That's something that'll get better for Pacheco as he gets more at-bats under his belt. His body will be more in sync and he'll be able to, I think, start tapping into that plus raw power and and plus game power that I see if he's able to uh, continue to get the most out of those body movements and again 18 years old 
got plenty of time and really is not as far behind as I was expecting, uh, but definitely has some things to iron out with that swing. Going into the honorable mentions and players to watch. Uh, The first guy is Reese Olsen. Came over in the trade with the Milwaukee Brewers. And Olsen, the command was a bit wayward at points this season. Really struggled down the stretch to command it. But in that Daniel Norris trade, I think was a good upside pickup for the Tigers. He's got crazy stuff. I mean, seven starts this season, he had at least seven strikeouts, and he had six starts, though, as well, where he had four or more walks. So we saw both sides of the coin there. We saw where the strikeouts can rack up. We also saw where the walks can rack up. When he's not commanding his stuff, it can be a disaster, and it was a roller coaster for him. But when he even has fringe average command, you can really see how the stuff plays up. I think he profiles as a potential back end of the rotation starter if he has fringe average command if the command is all of a sudden something clicks for him he could be a solid three with the kind of stuff that he has I mean the slider's disgusting but he's got to find a way to at least have fringe average command definitely some reliever risk but in the worst case with that wipeout slider he has and in a short stint area where I think he can run it up to the mid upper 90s in a one inning spurt could be a pretty lights out back end of the bullpen guy another guy that I thought showed flashes this year and has a high floor is Gage Workman. Gage Workman drafted in 2020 has a plus glove at shortstop could potentially even be a gold glover at shortstop. I marveled at his defense in the Cape Cod league. It was spectacular and he's a switch hitter as well. He showed a little bit of power hitting, I believe it was 12 or 13 home runs this year, but just did not really excite that much with the bat. If he's even an average hitter, an average hitter, which I think he showed enough to believe that he could be an average hitter, especially as a switch hitting guy this year. I really think that there could be a value there as an average everyday shortstop and definitely a really solid super utility guy. He can play third well, he can play short, he can play second, and the bat is definitely good to be a bench bat. It's a well above average bench bat. I think he is right on the cusp of being a solid everyday regular if he can just get the power to shine through a little bit more. I don't think anybody's ever expecting him to be a 30 home run guy, but if he can hit 15, 20 homers, then with the glove that he brings and solid bat to ball skills could be a solid glove first everyday shortstop fallback solid solid super utility guy another player that i like is an honorable mention is joey wentz and joey wentz disappointed command was a big time issue in 2021 came over from the atlanta braves a couple years ago but he has a solid three pitch mix that is enough to get swings and misses at a 25 percent k rate which is not something to be upset about at all 14 percent walk rate is something to be upset about and that's where the risk comes in. Again, another guy that could be a solid lefty out of the bullpen, but I think with average command could be a solid number four, number five starter in the back end of the rotation. Ryan Kreidler, another player that exploded following his promotion to AAA last season, but a lot of the metrics point towards his phenomenal 41 games being a bit of a flash in the pan. Was always viewed as a contact-oriented hitter that was limiting his ceiling, but then he gets gets to AAA and starts being more of that power guy and the contact that he was previously noted for started to come at an expense. So when he tried to add to that slugging department, he started swinging and missing more. So he's giving and taking and he's trying to figure out who he is as a hitter. And I think that's going to hold him back a little bit. He doesn't offer much defensively. I think it was still a net positive 
to see uh, what he did in AAA, and there could be a piece there. He could be an interesting bat, uh, but he's still trying to figure out who he is as a guy that was always geared for contact. Now he's hitting for more power, but he's striking out more, and he's kind of caught in between, and I think he's going to have to try to figure out what it, what kind of hitter exactly he wants to be, uh, but still an interesting prospect nonetheless and worth some discussion as well. That'll do it for the top 10 here for this Detroit Tigers system. It was a lot of fun to write up, and we got a lot more on the way. Obviously, I've already written up the Orioles, the Rays, the Royals, the Mariners, and maybe one more if I'm not mistaken. We'll continue to do this every week here uh, as we move forward, going through all of the farm systems in baseball, and we'll start doing some top prospects by position as well. If there's anything that you want me to talk about, feel free to DM me at rmlayton8 on Twitter, uh, and I'm happy to one, answer your questions that are prospect-related on there, and also Uh, just take any uh, advice you have, any episodes you want to hear me talk about. Of course, we'll be talking about the prospects going in trades as I expect it to be a busy couple months here, especially before the CBA expires. Teams are going to probably want to try to get their trades in before that as well. Uh, And then we'll see a lot of trades after that, hopefully, if there isn't after that, uh, without a work stoppage of any legitimate uh, time. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for those who take the time to leave a rating that helps immensely. Go check out JustBaseball.com to see some of our latest work on prospects and also MLB and everything in between. We do fantasy, college, betting, collectibles, everything at JustBaseball.com. So go check it out. Thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.